Hello, everyone. Welcome. We, it's 7.56, so we are a little bit early as usual. And it just gives us an opportunity to be able to talk a little bit about how things are. George in Africa, we were just talking a little bit about just some of the things that are happening in South Africa, but maybe just a general overview of South Africa, other places. Yes. Good evening, everyone. Um, of course, we've all gone through the Easter weekend now. And so um, not many people have been out in the field the last three days. And um, so from tomorrow, I think there will be a huge amount of information. But we did get out a lot of audio updates today to many church partners and people. And so hopefully most of us on this meeting would be able to, to hear firsthand from some of our African leaders, like Tyler, Farai, Dan, and, and these guys on what happened in the last week um, on the ground. But um, yeah, we ended off with um, Farai coming back and found great favor with local governments, keeping our feeding points open, um, in some places, it's tough for us to go from house to house, but um, yeah, at least we see the children face to face and more and more church leaders that we've been networking now for so many years are busy coming back to us and say, it's kind of like they're finding their balance a bit now, you know? And I've seen it here also. People are starting to find their balance and, and so coming and say, how can we get involved? How can we reach out? Um, the Hans communities, both in Ahab and Kachele, um, had a great weekend. Kel and I um, enjoyed the sunrise service from the hub with them. It was nine o'clock at night here. We had a big African sunrise picture on our computer as we listened to them worshiping and thanking God for the resurrection. And, and so it is going into this week with new uh, vigor and hope because of celebrating the resurrection. And that is the only hope that we have as we begin to this week. So, um, continuing to pray for our brothers and sisters in Africa. And yeah, praying that the Lord will just be with us during this time. Do you mind opening us in prayer and then reading uh, this passage for us? Sure. Sure. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful tonight. Um, and we, we want to just stop for a moment and consider Jesus, the resurrected one, the Prince of Heaven, the Son of God, Emmanuel, the promised one, the one who would crush the head of Satan. It is in your name that we freely walk into the Holy of Holies tonight. And tonight is a huge night for us, Lord. There's so much to speak about. And I pray that you will give us one ability, Lord, that when we speak about or study even in our own topics, that we will remember constantly who you are because that should say so much to us about the scripture. 
And we know, Jesus, you came to introduce the Father to us. The Father is a good, good Father, slow to anger and rich in love. And he's got compassion on all that he made. And tonight as we study how to love your wife, Lord, I, I pray that you'll take us deep into this mystery. Paul say the marriage is, is a mystery. It shows us um, the relationship between the church and Jesus. As men tonight, may we drink deeply from you and from your word. Holy Spirit, will you feel so welcome with us tonight? Give all of us insight, open our hearts, mm -hmm. our spirits. Let us see with our spiritual eyes and hear with our spiritual ears. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you so much. If you wouldn't mind reading this really wondrous text for us, that would be great. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 33. So, Sam, do you mind if I start a few verses earlier? I absolutely do not mind. I just think it's key. So I appreciate that. Thank you for giving me that uh, freedom. So I want to read from us, for us, from Ephesians 5, um, from verse 21 to 33. I want to start with verse 21, and I read from the um, English Standard Version. Submit to one another out of reference for Christ. Wives, Submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husbands is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as a church submit to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything in their, to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without a spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives, as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see, let the wife see that she respects her husband. I wanted to discuss this because after talking with Sua, she had shared that on Tuesday, she's going to be talking with Carolyn. I think on Tuesday, it's going to be much more of a, she's going to just get to know Carolyn a little bit more and, and then 
Thursday, I think they're going to talk a lot more about marriage itself from the wife's perspective. And after I heard that, I thought, oh, this would be a great opportunity to have this topic as well for us, but obviously not to talk about it for, about the wives, but to talk about it for husbands, what it means to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Now you asked to read from verse 21 on. And so maybe you could share a little bit about why. Um, you know, I think it's, it's crucially important, Sam, if I, if I can just make one or two opening remarks, kind of just yes, for, from yes. my side. Yes. Um, I would say, firstly, how we understand this Bible passage specifically is a crystal clear indication how we understand grace and what Jesus did for us. Very clear. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. So when we look at Jesus' words, we always look at it through that we know who he is. We understand who Jesus is. We understand who our father is and that he brought marriage in, as we read, to display that incredible beauty. So we understand the father's heart behind all of this. And we understand the incredible love and grace that he brought to us. Or maybe we don't fully understand that. But I want to make a suggestion that I think that would play out in a way we speak about it. Quite frankly, if a, if a husband comes to me and he would say to me, George, my wife does not want to submit to me, the first thing I would say to him is, is that sometimes a case between you and Jesus? And what does he do with you? Mm -hmm. You know, I just want to take it back there the whole time, the whole time, because this is all about Jesus. It's not about us. And so, this few passages, this few verses that we read here, to be honest, Sam, it caused more pain through history as any other passage did. And I speak from the African view right now, and to say that tremendous pain and suffering took place because of a misunderstanding of this scripture, not just by Christians, but by Christian culture, you know, in other words, the way a boy is brought up um, based on a misunderstanding of the scripture brought much pain and, and suffering right through history. And so for me, it's very close to my heart as somebody that wants to spend his life fighting for the most vulnerable people. And um, maybe just to say that um, it's, it's much more than just husband and wives. The implications of how we interpret the scripture, it, it will boil down to gender. It will boil down to culturally and, and, and our faith, how we treat men and women, boys and girls, you know, and how boys will treat girls. It's much bigger than my wife doesn't submit to me or I submit to my husband. It's got much wider implications than that. Um, I've, today, as I thought through that, I came, it took me to the last 
prophecy and a first prophecy. The last prophecy, Old Testament, and a first prophecy in the New Testament. And it just spoke deep into my own heart in that. In the last prophecy, we actually read it in Malachi 4 verse 6. And the prophet said this, He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will strike the land with a curse. So here we see um, just how incredible, important it is to our Father that us as men have got, um, that we are the right models, that our children will come to us and we will go to our children. You might ask me, what does that got to do with wives? Everything. It's absolutely playing into that dynamic. And then in, in Luke 1 verse 17, um, we read this interesting thing about John the Baptist and his call. It says, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And somehow, Sam, I just wanted to put that out as we're going to talk about um, husbands and wives. Again, we talk about the circles of influence around us. And everything we believe influence how we act. And the way we act is causing a ripple effect wider and wider, even to people who don't believe in Jesus, but they're in a Christian culture. And so all of these things play out very clearly if we misunderstand or misrepresent. So if we take the scripture and we do it right, it will have the most beautiful impact on stable families, happy children, less vulnerable girls, less um, sex trafficking, less, less pornography, less abuse, less all of these things. All of that will go right back. If you go back, 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 back to husband and wife. That's why it's so close to my heart. Um, and I think I want to bring the children into this because I think they're the first layer that experience the goodness mm. or the negative energy that comes out of understanding or misunderstanding the scripture. Mm. No, that's really good. I think when you bring up uh, verse 21 and then, I mean, verse 21 is really, it's, it's, it really is the, yeah. This hinge verse um, between actually from verse 15 all the way to the end of verse 33. And it's the idea that because it's, it's telling us there's five ways that we're filled with the spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, singing, making melody. Those are all participles, uh, giving thanks and then submitting. And, and that it's, it's the, it's one of the manifestations of a person filled with the Holy Spirit is that we actually submit to one another because we're, we want to do so because we are so enthralled by Christ that actually we delight in submitting to one another. It, so that's why you can't take verse 22 and use that somehow as a sort of the way that you described it as this sledgehammer over women to say, well, you better submit to me. And because that completely ignores what it means to be filled with the spirit. 
a Christian submits to one another foundationally. And without that foundation, then we will t- completely misunderstand how do how does a wife submit to your husband, which I think Sue and Carolyn will cover, but also how do husbands love their wives? And so absolutely right. I totally agree with you. And I think that 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 mutual submission out of reverence for Christ, in a sense, defines the rest of what takes place. But certainly to for um, husbands, perhaps, to use verse 22 to 24 against wives, apart from verses 25 to 33. And I think any faithful expositor of this passage would say, when, I mean, look at how much is addressed to husbands versus just even sheer number. How many <laughs> you know? times does it say love, 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 yes, love? Yes, yes. And when you look at also our responsibility towards a wife is equated, we are a metaphor uh, of what Christ is, his love for the church. Actually, I think most people see this as a marriage verse, but it actually is more of a, a verse of love between Christ and the church, us, what he has done for us. And marriage is a, a, a mirror, a reflection of that. It's a painting of it. And, and so we, it's, what you had shared is right. I, I really believe that, which is that you're not supposed to look at this passage and say, see, this is all about marriage. I think it's supposed to be, this is all about Christ, who he is, what he has done to love us. And marriage is supposed to be in some way a, I mean, it's not a perfect reflection, but it definitely is a reflection of Jesus' love for the church, for us. And so I completely stand with you on that and think that if in order to get this right, we have to go back to the idea, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And again, I look at the two, I'm not saying submission is easy, it's not. But loving your wife as Christ loved the church, that's a really big call. It's a high standard. What do you think? Yeah, and so if we say verse 21, say, submit to one another in reference of Christ, then by implication, then everything that comes after that is telling us how to submit to each other. So the fact that Paul used the words and say to wife, okay, I want you to submit. There's a reason why he used that word submit because he's explaining the hierarchy of um, what God has put. God's a God of order, how he's put things in place. But both submit to one another. And you know, the simplest thing, just for us to become sober-minded for a moment, when Paul, and he constantly, he only said to the wife, submit, but then he said, love, love, love. And you know, if we just stop for a moment and we think, love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it's not rude. Yes, a big one. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It mm-hmm. keeps no records of wrong. Now, Paul is saying, that's how you must treat your wife. Mm-hmm. And, and Tim Keller, um, he, he wrote such a brilliant book on marriage. But um, what he say, confess his challenge he had with his wife, Kathy, why he struggled so much 
in his marriage, they said, I believe the gospel was in my head, but it wasn't operational in my heart. And that, Sam, is exactly the truth. Um, the ability to serve another person requires the Holy Spirit because the problem that we deal with here is self-centeredness. Mm -hmm. That's a problem. Worldly counselors will tell you divorces happen because people are self-centered. Mm -hmm. And yeah, Paul is saying to us, I want you to be like Christ. Always forgiving, mercies new every morning, long-suffering, patient. And that's why I always throw that question back to a man if he say to me, I'm not saying to him he's wrong if he say to me, you know, I, me and my wife struggle because she just doesn't understand the submissive part. The first thing I say to him, before we talk about your wife, do you understand your submissive part to Christ? And do you fulfill that? And how does he respond to you when you're rebellious? Because if you understand your own brokenness and how often Christ have got to go the extra mile and the extra mile and the extra mile and the extra mile with you, then it will become much more bearable in your own heart and you will be exposed much more. Mm. You understand? So that's mm -hmm. why I say it must be connected to the gospel, to Christ. Mm -hmm. This wife's advertisement is not the extra thing that Paul just thinks is a good idea. Mm -hmm. It is to display the grace of God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yes. The something that emphasizes even textually what you just shared is verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. By for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. So I, I think Paul's saying there that you do not love your wife by trying to be self-centered. I mean, it's just actually the way to love your wife is to actually give of yourself of her. And by doing so, the promise is that you will be blessed. That's the, the miracle and the, the mystery of the gospel. You know, it's the more gracious and loving and forgiving you are, the more kind we often have this fear that, well, people are just going to take advantage of that. They're going to walk all over us. You know, they're, what about my rights? And, and we think that if I get my rights, I'll be happier. I'll be, I'll enjoy life more. But what I have found is the more you fight for your rights and fight to get your own priorities, your own way, people like that are always angry, always disturbed in spirit. They're, there's a very a deep cynicism and bitterness. They are not happy at all. But what, and so whenever I uh, have times of counsel with a husband and wife go into a, a conflict situation, there's always this instinct to say, well, what about, they don't understand me. Like they're not serving me. They're not caring for me. And that's exactly the opposite of what Paul is saying here. But Paul's point is not to say, oh, you know, if you care for the other person, forgive them, initiate reconciliation, love them show mercy, show kindness, be patient. He's not saying do that and you'll be miserable for the rest of your life. His whole point in verses 28 through 29 is by doing that, you'll actually be truly happier. You'll actually gain, because when you love your wife in that way, 
it's as if you're loving your own body. Uh, he who loves his wife loves himself. To me, that was such a turning point yeah, for yeah. when I read that verse. I, yeah. it, it, to me, that just speaks volumes over everything. It's If you really want to love yourself, if you really want to actually act on your behalf, love your wife deeply to yeah, the point where it hurts. Then you'll really so love yourself. Yeah, that's beautiful, Sam. And that, so if you look at Romans 5, verse 8, um, Yes. Um, I just mm -hmm. want to get okay. I see Paul where you're say, going. Paul says this God showed his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, for me, one of the big challenges I think we often have, we, we think, and that takes us back to the gospel, and you spoke mm -hmm. about that on mm -hmm. Sunday. And so if I work hard, God will love me. If I submit, God will bless me. Mm -hmm. If I bow before him three times a day, my, my job will be secure. It's all based on works. And that's why I say the way you treat grace and Jesus and your salvation is the way you're going to treat your wife and the submission and, and the loving mm -hmm. part and all of it. Because if, if you understand that Paul say, Jesus took a heck of a chance. He chose to die for you before you even chose if you want him or not. I mean, I'm putting it in worldly yes. terms now, but you understand? Yes. It's yes. not like he had people um, coming and say, we want you, will he die for us? They reject, the very people reject it, and we just celebrated the passion, right? Mm -hmm. And now you apply that here, and you say, husbands, regardless, don't worry about the other part, regardless of mm -hmm. that. That's not your, your job is not to evaluate that and to check it and to blow the whistle or whatever. It's not for you. Because in fact, is what needs to happen. Jesus will blow the whistle in you a number of times a day. Mm. So don't worry about that part. That's not your job. Your job, die, die, die for your wife. Give, mm. give, give for your wife. Trust, trust, trust for your wife. Pour yourself out. Pour yourself out. Die, give. That's what you need to do. You know, when somebody in John, when somebody said, and what about him? Jesus said, what is it going to do with you? Yeah. Yes. Even if he lives forever. You yeah. do what I tell you. Jesus is telling us here, die for your wife. And you know, that's one of the mysteries that you spoke about now. You said, if you love your body, if you love your wife, you love your body. That's a mystery. Mm -hmm. That's the same as giving. The more you give, the more you get. The more you love externally, the more the peace comes internally. So the more you pour yourself out into your wife, the more you actually become whole and love and your relationship with Jesus grows because right. of that. And so yes. I just think there's another angle to look at this, yes. which changes everything in it. Yes. I think for us, we would say that uh, when you look at that, you absolutely love, you absolutely give yourself, you sacrifice yourself but there is a purpose to it it's not give yourself so that she could go and do whatever she wants to do the goal according to verse 26 is that that he might sanctify set apart make holy uh, that he in his giving up of her himself the purpose was so that she would be cleansed through god's word to actually grow 
in her own love for Christ, in her own desire and pursuit of God. So we're not talking about, and I, I know you agree with me with this, uh, George, is that we're not saying, oh, love your wife, give up everything so that she can you know, hang out with her friends or buy whatever she wants. That, not that she can't buy things or hang out with friends, but that's not the end purpose goal of this whole thing. Because if that were the case, it's such a short-sighted goal. It's meaningless in the end. But it really is, you want her to be in a place where she is pursuing, enjoying, delighting in Jesus. And we as husbands, by loving, have to think, how do, does my decisions, my actions, my words, does it cause her to pursue Christ? Or does it hinder her from pursuing Christ? And that, that's a really important, I feel like that's a very important distinction between just simply giving up things, right? What, what, do you, what do you think about that? So many thoughts are going through my head when you speak about this. I, I've got to try and, you know, because it just takes us down so many paths and yes. things, you know. Again, I always feel that I want to apply it first in my own heart. You know, I want to see, because maybe just by nature, I can easily point to other people. And so I just formed that habit. I first wanted to come to me. And let me understand what it means. And, and as you spoke, I just say, Jesus, have mercy on us as a church. Yes. How often, how often do we chase after the world, after the pleasures of the world, while Jesus wants to sanctify us and want to set us apart and prepare as his bride? And yet he can hardly get hold of us because we are so busy with the things of the world. The church, us. And, and so when it cuts us deep in that way, and that's why this is, it goes both ways the whole time. When this cuts us deep, then we will even pour ourselves deeper into our wives with, with a cry that they will come and be sanctified and that that beauty that God intended them to have will be fully shown. And as you see your wife's beauty develop, reminds you this is where my this is how my beauty needs to grow this is how i need to be sanctified and grow mm -hmm. because that is exactly what jesus does for me <laughs> it's it's incredible it's so rich yes yes so how do you as george yes. um love carolyn in a way that you give yourself up for her and sanctify her and having cleansed, like how do you actually cause her to pursue Christ? Which is, we're not Jesus. We can't yes. force them, right? But we still are yes. called to do this according to this passage. What does that look like? I'm sure a lot of guys out there are thinking, okay, I see you saying this. I see God's word saying this. I don't yes. know how to do that. Yeah. My biggest prayer when I pray for Carolyn is always, always, God, make me a good husband. Mm. That's my prayer. Because I, I think the key to success is me. The key to a good marriage is me. Um, I believe if we are spirit-filled husbands that in the spirit of Jesus, that self-sacrifice pour out into our wives if we do that that love is irresistible 
you can't resist that. You see, now it changed everything. That submiss- submission is not submit to authority now. It is, although it is, but it's not that harshness. What it means now is submit to a love that's mm-hmm. offered to you. Mm-hmm. Come under this protection mm-hmm. of this love mm-hmm. that's pouring himself out for you. Mm-hmm. And so that's a picture I have in my prayers. Mm-hmm. And of course, I fail daily in that. I mean, mm-hmm. and miserably sometimes. Mm-hmm. So how do, I, how do I want to do that? Or how do I do it with Karen? First, I feel that level of honesty with, with Carolyn to become vulnerable. It took me way too long. I wish I knew so much more about Jesus in my early marriage. Yes. yes. I oh, so yes. wish I understood that there is nothing as beautiful as the strong one becoming the humble one. Mm. I see it as still covered in velvet. You know, I see it mm. as a firmness that is displayed in a soft, attractive way that brings security, not a threat. Um, and so how do I provide that for Carolyn? How do I um, realize my own challenges and shortcomings and resist that? And so many times it's silent battles. You know, there will be a, I can see, okay, there's a huge difference in opinion and or in where we're going. Mm-hmm. For me, a victory is when I choose to, to say, I'm not going to engage in this. I'm gonna let, I'm gonna give it to Carolyn. I'm gonna let it happen because it's not. This is not um, fundamental. There are fundamental things. Mm-hmm. You know, when we talk about our children, and there's something that one of our children is doing wrong, according to what God is speaking to us as parents. And Carolyn, if it, I'll just use an example. You see, want to be soft on that or not address that. I will say, there, I will say, we've got to do it. But I will justify it then. I will say, look, that's what God will demand of us as parents. But they are rare and few, that non-negotiables. Right. 99% of it, you can, you can be the least. And I think that is, that is for me, that's the battle that I engage in and that I want to engage in. Mm. And when I pray, I pray that the Lord will give me a strength mm. to have those victories on mm. a daily basis that I will overcome my self-centeredness mm-hmm. when yes. Carolyn and I disagree. Yes, yes. Oh, I've, you know, I've seen that play out in many different ways. I really love the way that you describe the idea of the irresistibility of a a love that comes from our knowing Christ. When we love our wife that way, it, it, it really melts the heart of bitterness. You know, I've seen that personally in between when Sue and I will have a conflict. If I'm holding my ground and trying to dig my heels and say, no, I'm not going to budge. And it's not over something that is fundamental. In the moment, it always seems like it. <laughs> you know, it always feels the most important thing in your life when you're in the middle of a conflict. But when you step back and you look and now, you know, we've been married enough, long enough, both of us, where we say, wow, there are a lot of conflicts that were not this high, but in the moment they seem this high retrospectively, they weren't. And when I'm able to just simply come and say, father, I submit to you, 
and therefore I can say, I'm sorry, or I was wrong, please forgive me. And you see the heart change, the, the melting of your wife who was responding to your own self-centeredness. And I absolutely agree with you that by initiating, because the husband in that way does take the lead and their lead is sinfulness and self-centeredness because if I become self-centeredness, well, how's everybody else in my family gonna respond? The exact same way, and that's what I'm modeling. And so therefore everyone starts getting into this position of I'm not gonna yield, How I'm not gonna yield. It takes the husband, I heard a, um, just a, a short sermon from John Piper and he was talking about husbands, leadership means initiating reconciliation. That is, that's, that's what it means to lead, initiate reconciliation. And when we do that, I have seen this happen many times and I've also seen it in counseling others is that wives are look, they want to follow someone who is, who is a leader, but tenderhearted, who is kind, who reflects Christ. There is a desire to want to, but they need to see that. And oftentimes they don't see it. So it does take a really to see exactly what you said, because Sue and I were taking a walk today and I was just sharing with her, you know, George and I are going to speak on this topic. And, and I was saying, um, you know, if, I, if we both only knew Jesus, like the way we do now, and we still have a long way to go. But if I knew the, the core of the gospel then, and to say when I was, when we first got married, oh, how we would have at least had like a, it's like a lighthouse in your yeah. boat and it's a storm. You yeah. can't really see the, the lighthouse of the gospel shows us the path to go. But when you don't have that lighthouse, you're just tossed to and fro by the waves. So I, everything you say, I resonate with. I think that that's exactly some of the, and I know a lot, a number of the couples that are listening or who are facing some of these things. It is that, that like, we, we so want you to see that knowing Jesus and all he's done for you is truly, I know it seems, it could seem cliche as a Christian cliche, but it really is true. The more you trust in Christ and his work, what he's accomplished for you, the more it frees you to actually delight in him and in one another. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. That, that Paul's actually using the word agape there. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, that, mm -hmm. it, that, that's unconditional, right? right? It's not connected to conditions. It's not saying I love you if you're in a good mood yes, or no. if you if you make me my favorite food or if you don't forget <laughs> what I need or if you stop that habit or whatever. It doesn't say that. He, he used the yes. word agape. Yeah. Initiating that type of love, what a challenge, but it is so important. Something that I saw as well as... Um, if you look at verse 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. And something I was reading is that those two words, nourishes and cherishes, those are words that essentially describe what it means to love your wife, how to love your wife. And what I was, what I was reading about, I was reading that one commentary on it, and it was uh, talking about this, and I think it was really insightful. The word nourish is also used in Ephesians chapter six, verse four, and actually is referring uh -huh. to um, bringing up children. 
Yes. Where That's what I just says, read. Yeah. Yes. Where Paul, yeah. right? You just read it. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up. That phrase, that word is the same as here, nourish. Yeah. Bring them up in the discipline instruction of the Lord. Meaning you you raise, you, you be patient yeah. and sort of like planting a seed. And there's there's such excitement to watch it grow. And it takes patience. And it takes, you know, taking, making sure that there are no weeds and making sure that you're watering it and it's getting good sun. And you're very actively engaged at, at seeing it, it grow because you want a flourishing. You want to see a flourishing. And so a loving of your wife in that sense is there has to be a very intentional desire for wanting your wife to flourish in Christ, to, to want them to actually like, it should not be that my greatest desire for my wife is that she becomes more physically attractive yeah. or that she, um, you know, that she has a certain social status or she, she gets, she makes more money or she, she raises my children. Well, those are, I mean, it's, it really has to be first and foremost that she actually is sanctified. She's set apart for Jesus. And if she's not, if that's not happening, then I'm not loving my wife. I'm not, I'm just, that's why I feel like so many, George, so many uh, married couples end up becoming roommates. And I do believe a lot of that lies on, responsibility lies on the husband. If the husband is not, if he's just coming home, making money and saying, hey, that's all I need to do. I'm providing. That's what God calls me to do. They are not reading this passage. The second thing, and, I, and after I say this, I'd love to hear what you think. The second is the word cherish. And that's a word that Paul also uses in 1 Thessalonians 2.7. And he says, we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. And the phrase taking care is the, that same word cherish. So like a, a nursing breastfeeding mother who's, and we both have wives who are mothers who have breastfed. And when a, when a baby's nursing, they are so secure, comfortable, at peace. There's a warmth. There's such an intimacy. You know, it is, there's almost nothing more intimate, very few, maybe outside of sexual or sexual intimacy, is that intimacy of a, a mother nursing her baby. And this is, these are the two words that Paul says, we as husbands, when we love our wives, we do this just as Christ does the church. He nourishes and cherishes. He provides security, provides comfort. He, he shows them, and security does not come in money. We know that because that's what Jesus says. It doesn't come in money. It comes in knowing Christ. Yeah. If, if we're not actively engaging our wives with conversations that lead them to Christ, praying yeah. for them, you talk about praying for that, for your wife. Um, leading your family, shepherding, getting them to think about God's word, processing, um, yeah. you know, considering, exhorting, engaging. And if we're not pursuing that, I don't think we're loving our wives as Christ loved the church. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, it's very good. Um, the picture I have is um, I, I once traveled to Mozambique and I stayed over in a, a little caravan park. Is that what you would call it also? Where yes, trailer park. We call it trailer park. Trailer park. Yes. Okay, trailer park. And um, as the sun went down, I walked past this one trailer. 
and outside on two little camp chairs sat this couple who must have been married for 70 years. You know? <laughs> they looked like they were both at least 120. <laughs> and, but, but I mean, they were like really, really elderly couple. Mm. But you know, I didn't have to talk to them. I didn't have to know them. As a believer, I walked past them and it was like I was just on holy ground. Mm. Just, I can't explain it, the way they sat, the way they were comfortable with each other, the way they were together, mm. not just physically, but emotionally, spiritually. I looked at them and I just thought, God is saying, we become one flesh. Husband, you will leave your, your mother and your father and you will cling to your wife and you'll become one. And I think often we think about that and we say, okay, physically we become one and then we have children, we become a family. I think it's much, much more than that. We become one in a spirit. We become one in, in our ways, our thinking. Our, we, be, we merge. We bring these two beautiful people together and we merge. And, and all the rough edges go. And you know, when those rough edges go, when you meet people that grind it off the rough edges, <laughs> they don't have to tell you. When you're in their company, you know that. You see a, a tenderness. You see a, a chipping away that took place without knowing. You can just mm. sense that. And Peter speaks about that in 1 Peter 3 verse 7. Peter is saying, I want you to understand that um, you can't even worship if you're not one. You mm -hmm. can't pray to me if you're not one. Mm -hmm. So, so uh, he's speaking now to, not to him as a person, but to God, you know. Peter is saying, you and your wife need to be one if you want to come before the Father. Mm. If you want to come before Jesus, if you want to worship, you need to be one. Because God has said, what I've put together, let no man set apart. That includes you and your wife. So we are now, when we come to our Father, we come as one. And I saw that elderly couple there. And, oh, man, it, it happened in the early Masoi days, to give you ideas. Mm -hmm. That must have been 2000, 2001. And I can, if I could have painted, which I desperately can't, I could have painted you today their faces, their, their, their disposition, you know, the way they just melted into one. And it was just one of the most beautiful pictures I've seen in my life of how a marriage should look like and should end up like. And I want to just leave that from my side to say, you know, um, there are some dangerous lines in marriages. Um, I think in the beginning, people are struggling and all that selfishness, and you know, and that's a dangerous time. And then there's a dangerous time, I think, normally with men, there's a dangerous time around 40. I mm. think really men need to have wise men around them at that time. Mm. Um, men go through a battle in their minds and things. And then interesting, there's a dangerous time later on. It's normally when the last child leaves the house, and, and normally you see this 
crazy unexpected divorces and some yes, people don't get divorced yes. but they could just as well have been divorced they don't even greet each other in the mornings yes. they don't even stay in the same rooms nothing mm -hmm. and that's the result of not becoming one mm. and staying one especially mm. in the tough times mm. where the children are crying every three hours and a husband work long hours that if you want to if you want to love your wife you want to be the leader show your leadership in those tough times and make sure that none of you drift away make sure that your marriage stays strong because constantly as you grow older this can become lines of tests on your marriage and do not think if you've been married for 20 years you're fine mm. it's not true it's not true if you slowly grow away from each other a time come when you wake up in the morning and you will know that this thing is over it's too far mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. so we've i'm sharing this to men because we love the idea that yes. we are the heads well if you're the head make sure because God will hold you responsible as yes. the head a leader is the one who's be held accountable so as the head how hard are you working to make sure your marriage can withstand the storms that is coming and i promise you they are coming mm -hmm. they will come and so as the head dig deep and and make mm -hmm. sure that you keep your marriage tight and mm -hmm. solid mm -hmm. no that's really good I think those uh, those points they are definitely there. You see, you just it, it really is tragic when you hear a, a married couple after their kids grow up leave, they get a divorce. But obviously, that divorce didn't happen at that point. It happened way before uh, that, exactly. right? Way before there was a distancing, and that distancing left unchecked a bitterness, a hurt feeling that was just yes. not dealt with. And it just, you know, people always want to do things for their children. In so many ways, that's where the idolatry of children is so dangerous. Sure, exactly. Where a couple is living for their children, not living yes. for their Lord, but living for their yes. children. Yes. Uh, do you, so I'm very curious to see, I mean, you're a person who is both engaged in the Western culture and more um, in the, you know, the first world culture, as well as more in, in the culture that you're living currently. Do you see that type of idolatry? And I mean, we definitely see it in our world, but do you see it in your world when it comes to husband and wife? What do you feel as though some of the great challenges to marriage in, in the communities that hands is a part of, is it, at the core, is it the same or is it different? Yeah, at, at the core, I guess it's all about selfishness and and taking, you know, moving away from the Christ-centeredness. It plays out very different. Mm. Um, I think children absolutely became the number one idols of especially Christians in, an, in a developed world. Um, you know, and I'm outspoken about that, and I know it's, but it is, I can, it's very clear, and I can give many examples. In Africa, um, I think um, our biggest challenge is still this, if I may say, this colonial um, understanding of why a wife 
belongs in a kitchen pregnant. You know, if I can paint a root picture like that, that's that's nearly, and so it's it's it will be seen as very godly in a pastor's house in many, many African communities where you will come and visit me and my wife will come into the lounge and put our food down and she and the children will wait in the kitchen until we finish eating and then what's left go to them. And so that's a major, major point that we use in, in Africa when we speak about grace and the love of Jesus. Mm. And the way we would do it is if I sit in that house, I would invite his wife to come and sit with us. And normally I would ask her to share a testimony to me. And when she shared a testimony, I would look at the husband then and say to him, you have got a diamond from kingdom here. Mm. And um, she should be wherever you are. She should be on your right hand because she displays the grace and glory of God. You know, she should be wherever. If you sit and eat here with me, she should absolutely sit and eat here because she's a princess from heaven. And so we're trying to, but you know, I really believe we need to address this. We need to speak about it. Um, and so we, it's different, but it's from the same yes. heart. And it, it, in both cases, it's harming the children and it's harming the family picture. And so we speak to, in Africa, we speak to our children and say, ask God your father. And they say, well, my father eats, and when he's finished eating, if there's something left I can have. Or in the West, it is exactly the opposite. I can tell my father anything, and he must just jump. Mm -hmm. So if I must ask God my father, it means he's my guinea. I can just wrap it, and he must produce. And that's mm -hmm. where the prosperity thing comes in. Mm -hmm. And so both misrepresent our father. Both mis misrepresent right. that beautiful picture. Right. that God wanted us to have. Yes, yes. You know, we have uh, touched on this numerous times. It's the idea that self-centeredness, which mm. is actually at the core of every sin, right? Whether it's between husband so. and wife, between yeah. friends, just on my own. It's Satan's first sin. It's Adam and Eve's. That sense of I'm going to do this for myself, whatever benefits me, whatever I feel right. I, I just think how how tragic it is that this is so much at the core of why we are completely unwilling to love our wives you know it it runs completely against the idea of what jesus did for us which is why uh, if we could only grasp how significant what jesus did for us i, I think of the parable of the unmerciful servant it's if we have the view that Jesus really gave infinitely more than anything I can ever expect of my wife, then I'm always willing to meet her where she is, yeah. humble myself, yeah. initiate reconciliation, yeah. care for her. There's always this, I won't be, well, but she didn't do this for me or, yeah. you know, but if you only knew, and, and I, can't tell you how many times I've been in that type of uh, conversation with a husband and wife. If you only knew what she or he did, and I think yeah. if we only knew what we did against the Lord, yeah, exactly. it's nothing. It really, but we cannot get away from that. We cannot move away from that because, but it is such the answer to a husband's love for his wife, a wife submitting to a husband, a beautiful marriage. 
it's the it's the way that a a marriage can get to 30 40 50 years of real delight and enjoyment it is the grinding i love that image imagery you gave the grinding away of the rough edges together so that they actually eventually do fit perfectly together as one flesh but it takes that grinding it's the grinding of the cross really yeah sam and if we take the the husband's headship away that god has called us to take i'm not so much a place of honor and more a place of responsibility a place of sacrifice and service society comes down so hard and fast and mm -hmm. nowhere do you see it more than when you go into communities um, ravaged by AIDS and war and things where there's just mm -hmm. this countless number of orphans, grandmothers, and there you see the devastation. Yes. In those communities, it's much more than a physical devastation. It's the poverty of fatherhood, the poverty of men that were supposed to take ownership of those communities to protect the, um, the wives yeah. and the children to be there. Yes. And, I, you know, um, it is something that you've got to experience to understand the depth of this, that when you meet a child like Mungu in, in Goma, who is about 50 now, but... I, I can't share what happened to him, but I can just tell you, he saw his whole family get killed in front of his very eyes and um, the brokenness that that boy went through. And Sam, you might have been part of this. I got people, men from Australia and Canada and the US everywhere to send him a message. Can you remember yes, that? Yes, yes. And I, I sat with yes. him and me and Eric told him how we love him as men. Mm. And then I started playing the messages from all of you, and Eric translated it mm. to him. You know, the tears pouring down that boy's face that day. And I remember the next day, Eric went to go and fetch him again and took him home. And this is now a boy of 15 or 16. Mm. And he walked next to Eric. I walked behind him. And I saw him just sticking his arm out and he took Eric's hand. Mm. And it was like he became a child of five walking of mm. his dad down the street. This mm. boy was so desperate to be held by a father. So mm. desperate. Men, husbands, fathers, there's something in us that brings a touch and a love and a healing that no other creation on this earth can bring. Only we. We are only ones anointed to do it. And Satan will do everything he can to harm you, to harm your relationship, to twist the scriptures, to turn it into something that you don't bring that. Because the last prophecy and the first prophecy mm -hmm. all spoke about fathers, husbands, children. And so really for us to understand that anointing that's upon us, mm. it's so, so crucial. Yes. You bring up a really critical point, the idea of, and the question for you, you know, as husbands, we are in some way 
impacted by our own father, earthly father. And we have a, because we all have a model in some way, whether it's a good model or a poor yeah. one yeah. of a father and a husband, right? Yeah. And in what ways have you seen, whether it's for yourself, for other men, I mean, you've seen this in Africa, in, in the communities, you've seen it even maybe in, within hands, um, for yourself and others, how do you feel as though your picture of your earthly father either positively or negatively impa impacts the way that you've, you are both father and husband? And then how does your view of your heavenly father sort of give you a new, a renewal of what that relationship, re like how does that re restore and renew and yes. redeem fathering yes. and husbanding? Husband, yes. Husbanding? <laughs> yes, that's great. You know, um, Sam, my dad was an orphan. And at 15, he was put on a plane to go to the Middle East to fight in the Second World War. And he very broken. And I grew up under that brokenness. But by God's grace, he got saved um, before he died. And, and so we're eternally grateful for that. Yes. But I grew up under that. Yes. And so I, my dad was seriously broken because he had no father. Mm. I had a broken father. I had a wounded father. So I grew up wounded. But, you know, I found Christ and he gave me his mercy before Joshua was born. In fact, when Karen was pregnant, the Lord spoke so clearly to me. He said, you will have a son and his name must be Joshua. And when Joshua was born, literally as Karen gave birth, I worshiped God. Joshua's first, the first sounds he ever heard was his father worshiping Jesus. That's what he heard first. And from very young until now, he's now 20, late 20s, until now, I, when I speak to him, I always say to him, my dad was completely in a hole, his grandfather, but by God's grace, he was pulled out to, and saved him. Me, I was halfway in a hole. And every day God is restoring me a bit more. But then I say to Joshua, Josh, you, you were born outside the hole. You were born in a healthy family. You were born in a place where Christ was a king. You must fly. You, you've got, you are healed. You've got a father by God's grace that you saw Jesus in, in all his mess. You saw Jesus. You experienced forgiveness and love. You, and now he's got a son, Owen, who's now the second generation of flying outside that hole. <laughs> And so when I dream about our orphans and when we go there, I see my father, I see myself, and I say, I dream that they will become like Joshua's. Their children will be born outside that hole because we're going to turn the orphans one by one as they get to know Jesus and the real father. When they marry, their children are going to be born outside that hole. That's restoration. That's the right role of a father. That's the right role of a husband is to bring that love and protection to, if you want to say the weaker, the wife, the children, weaker in a sense of 
God has called you to take responsibility, mm. to be the covering. He's called mm. you and said, the bug stops with you. Mm. I trust you. Mm. And if you do it right, your community will be healthy and good. Mm. Amen. So, you know, we're going a little bit over time, but I feel like it's, uh, it's worthwhile. I want to, if anybody has any questions, because this is such a important topic, I think, and I know it's something that a lot of people are, facing struggles and so um feel free to ask it could be a husband it could be a wife and i do have uh, one question we'll start out with this one so this is specifically not necessarily addressing um husbands and wives per se but what words of encouragement do you have for men and women for men who are dating women in the way god wants would the advisement to husbands to wives be any different if they were not husbands and wives but boyfriends and girlfriends what do you think so if you're single what impact does a passage like this have if you're a single person and you have you have encountered single people at hands and or dating and how do you direct them how do you guide them so it's very important and i speak to you as somebody that when I met Carolyn, we didn't know Jesus. So um, I can tell you not as somebody that just think, I can tell you the truth. And I want to tell you that there's a corrupt way in doing something and there's a right way in doing something. And when you do it in a corrupt way, you damage that goods. You damage the the way it has been created to be beautiful. It is incredibly important. You've got to hear me as young people. It is unbelievably important that you love, respect, and treat that young lady as a daughter of your heavenly father. And, mm -hmm. you know, that that should supersede all your fleshly desires, that you understand that she is your father, she's the gift, or maybe she's the gift. You don't even know that for sure at times. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, and you've got to consider that somebody else, if that's not your wife, somebody else might be looking if your future wife is going to be their wife and how would you like them to treat her? So I think it is very important that that godliness come back. Sam, it, it's very painful for us in Hansard work. When we listen to young international volunteers coming to us, and I'm just going to say it as it is, and they tell us that they are sexually active because even the youth pastors are sexually active. And they say, if they tell people in their church, we shouldn't, that people even laugh or frown at them. And I want to say to all of you, this evening there's a spiritual dynamic to sexual intimacy mm. there's something that you cannot just wash away and forget about and carry on with your life there's marks that will stick with you for the rest of your life there's soul ties there's many many things you've got to make sure that you do this right it is of critical importance that you treat her in a godly and right manner um, and that you do it right to ensure that your future will be beautiful for always. Mm. 
Yeah, no, that's good. I think, uh, you know, what a challenge it is for, especially in our day and age for singles, you know, yeah. to be able to be faithful to the Lord, to the potential of a potential husband or wife, and to want to really trust God and his plans and his ways, which might mean waiting. And waiting, as we both know, is so hard sometimes, but God does a lot of his refining work in that waiting period. And when we aren't willing to wait, I do think that it does cause us to, it's no wonder that marriage then becomes difficult. <laughs> you know, it's not as though when you, uh, when you take that and you, you're not willing to trust God in a dating relationship, that just carries over to marriage. It's not as though marriage solves every sinful yeah. issue you have. It just yeah. doesn't happen that way. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, doesn't seem like too many people have any questions. <laughs> I thought there'd be a lot of questions on this topic in particular, but it doesn't seem to be too many. But um, do you have any other thoughts? Any final thoughts? No, I think we, we, we said a lot of things. Um, one, I'll just read you a few lines of an old hymn. Um, Bless the man that fears Jehovah, walking ever in his ways. By thy toil, by thy toil thou shalt be prospered, and be happy all thy days. In thy wife thou shalt have gladness. She shall fill thy home with good, happy in her loving service and a joy of motherhood. Joyful children, sons and daughters, shall about thy table meet, all of plants in strength and beauty, full of hope and promise sweet. And I just want to say to you, if you listen to this, youngly married, been married for years, want to get married. It's never too late, never. Even if you started wrong, or even if you've been already on the road and it's tough, it's never too late. Christ can do it. He, he can do it. He will do it. And it is something you've heard this hymn. There's an incredible future waiting for you and your family and people around you. If you embrace this, and you accept it as God's word, and you know who he is. He's a loving father, and that's what he called you to be. Mm, yes. I think of that song that uh, they sing in Africa, you know, never give up. Yes. Never, 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 yes. never give up. Yeah. And uh, I think if, if there's any husband or wife that feels as though they're on the edge, never give up. God yep. is... God can do it. But I do think it takes the husband. I do think that there's a reason why God called Adam, even though Eve took the fruit. God said, where are you, Adam? That's right. Yeah. And I think it has to start with the husband yeah. saying, I take responsibility. No yes. matter what has happened, yes. I take responsibility. That's Which good. is not easy. <laughs> That's not easy. Well, thank you, everyone. Let, let me pray for us and then... Uh, close. Father, I do want to lift up to you, especially all the marriages that are, um, and all the different people who are listening, 
whether they're single, married, for uh, even just newly married, married for a few years, uh, maybe decades. But as George shared, oh Lord, that some have perhaps grown distant. Pray especially for the husbands. I pray, Father, that they would take up the mantle, the biblical mantle of, of true biblical leadership by loving their wives as Christ loved the church. By doing so, pointing that woman to Jesus, helping her to find the glories of your son, and that this man would do so through humility, brokenness, uh, by a nurturing, a nourishing, a cherishing, a willingness to yield self-will um, and personal priorities and agendas and to really want, above all, to follow Christ. So I pray that you would impact these families, O oh Lord. And we know that by doing so, by impacting this man, that he will, he will impact generations. You will. Yeah. So I thank you for this time. We just really pray for blessings over everyone. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everybody. And see you... I, we're not going to be meeting on Wednesday because of uh, there's going to be a churchwide prayer meeting. So we'll meet again on Friday. So anyway, take care, everybody. Good night. See you next time.